Hello and welcome to yet another Agile podcast where we turn a critical lens on the state of Agile. I'm Michael Callahan and I'm your host and I'm glad you're here. Yet another Agile podcast is brought to you by Mindset 180. At Mindset 180, we put the I, the individual, back into Agile. Most revolutions end badly. Some, some revolutions are over before they even begin. Others seem successful. They go on for a while, but eventually things fall apart. I was doing some thinking and I was drawing some parallels between revolutions and agile transformations. And, and it seems to me like each individual transformation is, is like a mini revolution. And some of those fall apart before they even begin. And others seem successful, they go on for a while, but eventually they fall apart. Now, I, I've been involved in multiple transformation efforts, organizations big and small, and some were successful and some left quite a bit to be desired. With each one, I came in at a different phase of the effort, sometimes right in the beginning and, and sometimes they were in their waning hours. Um, it was really interesting to see in each case, not only where it was when I arrived, but where it went after I was gone. Every revolution has a life cycle. In 1938, American-French historian Crane Brinton, see, he was an American who was a French historian. Well, well Brinton published the book Anatomy of a Revolution. In it, he looked at four major revolutions— the English Revolution of the 17th century, the American and French revolutions in the 18th century, and the Russian Revolution of the 20th. Now, while all revolutions are different, three of the four began in hope and moderation and reached a crisis in a reign of terror. The three troubled revolutions, they, they followed a similar pattern, one that began with the fall of the old regime. You know, problems with the status quo, and it led people to, to rise up and unseat the ones that were in power. Now, that was followed. What that was replaced with, that was followed by two. And sometimes these phases were parallel, but the, the first was a, a legal, more moderate government. The second was a more illegal, radical government. Now, ultimately, ultimately, the radicals win, and for a number of reasons. First, the moderates are constantly under assault from both sides. The remnants of the old guard continue to resist and derail reform, and the radical elements press for even more radical change. Second, the radicals have fewer responsibilities. The moderates are the ones that are on the hook for results, and they learn quickly how unpopular people in power can be. The, the third reason is that, that moderates are more reluctant to push back against the radicals. They still see them as the allies that they were in the original revolution. And, and honestly, and finally, the moderates proved to be poor war leaders. They lacked the discipline and the enthusiasm. Now, as the radicals seize power, that reign of terror begins— that reign of terror is soon replaced by a period of, of relaxation from revolutionary policies. That's a, that's a phase called Thermidor. Now, Thermidor is characterized by three things. First, the establishment of a tyrant, an illegal, unconstitutional ruler. 
Next is the restoration of old ways. It starts to look like the old ways. And there's a reaction against the revolution. It starts to see, be seen as naive or frivolous. And instead of trying to be uh, advocates of a new way, um, it starts to take on a, a sense of this aggressive nationalism. As I was reading Brenton's work, I started to draw parallels between his anatomy of a revolution and transformation efforts that I've been involved in. One that stood out to me, well, I'm not going to name names. Let's just say that one stood out to me. I entered into that transformation in the moderate rule stage. The decision had been made to move away from old ways and to a new way of working. A coalition of new leaders had been formed to move it forward, and we sought pragmatic and incremental reforms to the system. All the while, there was a radical element in the form of a director of engineering, and he kept pushing for more scorched-earth policies towards the effort, rebuilding the organization from the ground up, power to the people. Now, over time, that director became the leading voice in the transformation, and a lot of the people that had come on board as part of that moderate regime were soon replaced. We, we were the moderate consultants. We, we were kindly asked to leave the building. I checked back in with them over the years that followed. In the end, they reached their Thermidor. They hired a VP of the Agile COE who implemented governance, standardization, documentation that, that far more resembled the PMO, what that thing that had existed before the transformation even began. So what do you do about it? I, I think it's, it's important to look at the fourth revolution that Brenton studied. That was the American Revolution. What was it that made it so different? It still had conservatives, moderates, radicals. But, but we could learn a thing or two from the system that led to a different result. And I believe, this is, this is my belief, I think the first was the distribution of power. Um, it wasn't about a strong centralized government. It, we distributed and decentralized decision-making between a federal government and state governments. In agile transformation terms, I'd equate that to decentralizing decision-making and allowing independent value streams to, to self-organize, to self-govern. Next, it was a government with three separate but equal powers to provide checks and balances. Again, in transformation terms, a strong, bought-in coalition representing process, product, and technology. And finally, finally, a government for the people, by the people. One that adjusts itself when the balance of power sways too far one way or the other. So in transformation terms, put people first above power, process, and ideology. Like revolutions, transformation efforts can end badly. They don't have to. We can, we can draw parallels. We can learn from history. Keep our customers, our associates, our partners at the center. We can build resilient systems that can keep themselves in check and put the decision-making in the hands of those who have the information. And we'll be back after the break to answer some burning questions that have come in. 
You are listening to yet another Agile podcast brought to you by Mindset 180. Yet another Agile podcast is brought to you by Mindset 180. At Mindset 180, we put the I, the individual, back into Agile. And we've got a couple burning questions that came in. Uh, This one, this first one comes from Kevin. Kevin asks, how can an agile team work with a vendor that is waterfall and resistant to change? Well, Kevin, well, Kevin, um, you've got to start with how much influence that team is going to have on changing what that vendor does. Um, a lot of times those are things that are outside of the team's control. And if that's the case, um, you know, the, the best you can do, the best any team can do is going to be to deliver value as fast as the slowest car on the train, right? If you, if you are waiting six months for releases from your vendor, um, that's as fast as you're going to be able to do it. And that's going to require along the way, yeah, you can still build things incrementally, uh, you can you can use previous versions of the vendor's product to 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 validate to test, but you're going to have to redo those things. So so it really is going to hamper agility. Um, in in that in that if you look at you know deliver early and often, you're not going to be able to get to where you can deliver daily, weekly, qu- even quarterly if if you have to wait. Um, the 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 thing that you can do about it because you're going to have to try and influence change over time. I think the, the best thing that you can do about it is make that really visible, right? Really make the, the consequences of it um, very visible, the, the, the implications of that weight, right? Here's the additional testing that we had to do. This is how long it's taking us to go to market. Those are the kinds of things that are really going to get the attention of people who can actually, you know, get a change made, help get a change made so so in the beginning it's you do the best that you can you are as agile as you can be you iterate you do things incrementally and you have to retest recheck and you're not getting to market as fast as as you could if everybody was was operating on the same page um sorry i didn't have a magic wand answer for that it's just the reality that we sometimes face but but thanks thanks for the question kevin and the next, the next burning question that we have comes from Adriana. And Adriana asks, do you have any advice for teams who are being asked to implement Agile but aren't truly development teams? Um, my, my advice to you would be do it, uh, but do it right. Um, you, you have to be, I, I think you have to be very uh, intentional that what you're implementing is, is Agile. You know, you're, you're, you're adopting an agile mindset, not necessarily we're going to do scrum or we're going to do Kanban or we're going to do, you know, whatever, whatever the the framework might happen to be. Um, And by that, what I mean is, um, you know, work with the, with, with the team and take a look at the, the agile principles, the, the, the 12 principles from the agile manifesto and, and, and really make, understand what that means to the work that your team is doing, right? 
um, the you know if what does it mean to to release early and often? Uh, what does it mean, you know, face-to-face communication? What does it mean that your teams are self-organizing? Um, what, is it, what does it mean to the work that you deliver, the expectations that you have? Uh, rather than just go into, you know, immediately adopting, a, you know, a process change, as it were. Now we work in sprints. We do stand-ups, right? Um, that, that can help you organize things. It can help you organize things, but it won't necessarily doesn't always make sense for the work that you have to do, right? Um, you can still benefit. You can still benefit from those frameworks um, to, to, to get the work done. But, but it's also going to help you decide what the right framework for you is. Um, if, you, if you're a, a team of business people, I'll just use some examples. Um, if you're a team of business people who each one's pretty much working on independent work, uh, there's no dependency etc. Um, if you go in and you implement Scrum and you're doing a daily standup, do you really need a daily standup if the teams aren't having to align on a mission, but they're just getting their work done? Yeah, probably not. Um, is the nature of the work something that you can, uh, you know, batch up two weeks worth of work and plan it? Um, if it is, then yeah, use something like Scrum. You're going to plan every two weeks. You're going to you're going to inspect and adapt on that. It's great. Um, if not, if your if your team has to be more, it's more about throughput and it's more about changing priorities and responsiveness. Then 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 Scrum probably isn't the right model to follow. You you may be well served by by laying out a you know a Kanban system or something like that. So so at the end of the day, I'll say. Um, the framework, the process, the steps, the way that you get the work done, I think that's, that's um, my advice for teams there is find the right one based on the nature of the work that your team has to deliver. Um, but more broadly, really take a look at the, 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 the values and principles and, and you know, come to your, your team, have your team come to their conclusions about what do those mean in, in regards to uh, your customers, who are your customers, and, and how are you seeking that customer satisfaction? Um, thanks a lot for that question, Adriana. I appreciate it. And uh, that's going to do it for our burning questions for today. Well, thank you for listening. I hope, I hope it gave you some food for thought. If you'd like to reach me, you can send me an email at mcallahan at mindset180.com. That's M-C-A-L-L-A-H-A-N at mindset180.com. Or, or look me up on LinkedIn. It's Michael Patrick Callahan. Send me your burning questions. Praise me for my brilliance. Lambaste me for my ignorance. We'll be back in two weeks for another installment of yet another Agile podcast. As always, I am your host, Michael Callahan, and I appreciate your time. Stay Agile, my friend. What would you think?